listening to The Flip Side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash noahfilipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. Hey, hey, hey. Happy New Year, Flip Side. It is 2021. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. Good riddance. Welcome to a new year. Uh, still a little rough, right, in January, but there's there's hope on the horizon. There's always been hope on the horizon, but it sure is nice to hear about people that have been able to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, my parents were able to get it. My wife is a teacher, and so she's cleared to get it, just waiting uh, for an opening to get it. I'm not one to sort of, I don't know, get frustrated or complain about the logistics. Man, I'm glad I'm not in charge of those logistics. I'm just grateful, psychologically grateful, that it feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like like this thing isn't going to last forever. So I hope you're feeling good, too. hope you're feeling good about that, about the new year. It's the middle of January already. Uh, I had a birthday back on January 8th, so happy birthday to me, 38 years old. And my big news of the last few weeks, this was actually over Christmas, uh, and I forgot to mention it in the last episode. If you missed last episode, by the way, did a year in review of 2020, so check that out, kind of highlighted uh, each episode that we did, and it, it might spark some interest for you for some uh, how to get caught up on some of the episodes that you missed. But over Christmas, the week of Christmas, my wife, who's awesome, she got our family uh, a cat. Uh, and, and you might be like, what, a cat? I don't know if you're a cat person or not. I am a cat person. I grew up with cats. Uh, we've always had cats in our marriage. And then uh, we've been married for 16 years, and middle of the way through, maybe eight years in or so, you know, my wife, uh, she figured out that she was allergic to cats. So she's had the symptoms the whole time, just didn't know what it was from, and had some tests done, and cats was one of the things she was allergic to. And it wasn't the deathly allergic, you know, she could be around cats, she just couldn't have them on her pillow or if she pet if she touches them or pets them she can't touch her face she has to go you know wash her hands so it's it's inconvenient and she and and uh, uncomfortable certainly at times so she had told me that the the two cats we had at the time this was like 8 years ago or whatever they would be our last cats and that's very sad cuz i love cats i have no uh, shame in admitting that there's my my I am secure in my manhood that I can say I love cats and I do and so anyway our the last cat we had died last January about about a year ago now uh, you know it's January again and so we got rid of all the cat stuff I even mentioned to my wife hey can let's hold on to the litter box or something you know what if you change your mind and nope got rid of all of it so I thought. The, the ships have been burned. We're not going back. And it was just super cool. Uh, it was the week of Christmas. 
and my my wife d- did a surprise for us and we me and the I have three kids, three girls, 9, 7 and 3, so we all got in the van and she drove us to the animal shelter uh, to pick out a cat. We ended up getting two kittens. <laughs> uh, we picked out a kitten that was at the shelter and then they said uh, the humane society is that the same thing? I think it's the same thing. Um, but they they set up at the desk. Uh, they're buy one, get one free. Do you want them both? There was two kittens left of this litter of five. And so my wife looked at me and said, do you want them both? I said, yeah, I want them both. You know, you're the one with the allergies. It's up to you. So she let's get them both. And we have these two adorable little kittens. I've been plastering all over my Instagram account. So the non-cat people are rolling their eyes. You've probably unfollowed me by now, but they're adorable. And... I didn't. I've never had kittens before, so I've had cats my whole life. We we normally adopt, you know, like a younger adult cat that's a few couple years old from the shelter. And this time we got kittens, and I'm telling you, they are crazy. They they never stop. They never stop playing. They never stop fighting. They're you know play fighting. They wrestle all the time. And also, I've never had cats with front claws, so we decided this time around. We were going to keep their claws in uh, so they could defend themselves against our dog when needed, who's who's crazy. He's still sort of a puppy. He'll turn one here in a few weeks. Um, but the claws, holy smokes. The, <laughs> they're not like destroying our stuff. You know, you, you hear about that. But they jump. They they want to get up on my lap or my wife's lap. So they climb our legs as if our legs were uh, a tree to climb with their claws out, and they just climb and claw up our legs, uh, permanently damaging my pants and uh, leaving many, many wounds along the way. My cat yesterday, I wear these blue light glasses when I work on my computer, and the cat is on sort of my lap, chest, and attacks my glasses. So his claw buries... Uh, into my face, <laughs> not happy, draws blood. So I, I look like a I look like a war hardened, you know, savage warrior with scars on my face now, and it's just from our kittens. So the best part of the kitten story, though, and I'll and then I'll move on. I took him to the vet this last Wednesday, and they haven't been fixed yet. We had to do this do this kind of contract with the shelter that we'd bring them back to get them fixed. They couldn't fix them right away because they, they were sick and whatever. They were on medicine, so they had to finish up their medicine. So take them to the vet to get a clean bill of health, get their vaccines before they can get fixed uh, back at the shelter. And the <laughs> there's a boy and a girl. So we adopted a brother and a sister. So cute. The girl's name is Penny. The boy's name is Gus. And the vet is holding Penny, the girl. And she says, so that one must be the girl, pointing to Gus, who's on the ground. And I said, nope, that's the boy. You're holding Penny. She's the girl. And the vet said, well, uh, he's got testicles and he is a boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to say that on my podcast. Yes, it was a vet. It was, it was, it's, it's a medical term. Okay. I'm sorry. I know the middle schooler in me laughs at that too. So 
I'm going, what? Penny is a boy? So <laughs> we did not adopt a brother and sister, a boy and a girl. We adopted two boys, two brothers. So I text my wife, Penny is a boy. She's like, what? My my nine-year-old daughter, Lexi, she is in denial. She's finally over it. But for a good 24 hours, she refused to believe that Penny was actually a boy because we, we all honestly got attached to her as a girl and as Penny. And you have us, honestly, I feel like, this you can really make fun of me for this like the girl cat it's it's like she's sweeter and 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 you know you're a little more cuddly with her and all those kind of things and now you're going oh yeah you're just two boys no wonder you fight and wrestle so much all the time so uh we changed penny's name to benny so penny is now benny and we have benny and gus we're still we're still We're still adapting at the house. We're still we're still getting used to it. So that's my my kitten story. Uh, pretty pretty hilarious. Pretty hilarious. I have to shut the door to my office because if I were if I were recording and they were in here, I would be howling in pain while they crawl up my legs, wrestle on my lap. Uh, they drink my coffee. They of course, drink my water. They spill my stuff everywhere. So that's the joy of having kittens. It is a lot of fun. But I'm super glad that you are with me for this first episode of the new year. If you hadn't heard, we have a new podcast sponsor, which is awesome. It is Angry Brew Coffee. Check this out. My mom loves it when I do this. Mm. That was me drinking some Angry Brew right there. Delicious. The slurping, it's needed if the beverage is hot. It has a practical purpose. Now, this beverage is no longer hot. It is a comfortable warm uh, that I enjoy. But I slurp because it's fun. So Angry Brew Coffee with a Punch. This is highly caffeinated coffee. Two times the coffee as most coffees. This is for those of you that like that extra shot of espresso in your drink at the coffee shop. You can order Angry Brew at angrybrew.com. We have a promo code. It is FLIP, F-L-I-P, just like the flip side. Did you know my last name is Philippiac, and that's why the podcast is called Flipside? I love it when I'm talking to someone and they don't know that, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's the promo code. Clever, I know. Use promo code FLIP, and you get 10% off your purchase. This is from Five Lakes Coffee. They are a fantastic company. A friend of mine is one of the owners, along with his brother. They're both Christians. Awesome company based out of Sturgis, Michigan. You can also order at fivelakes.com, the Chris's Blend, or the Angry Brew, and use promo FLIP to get 10% off your order. Now, This is an important month on the podcast, so today I'm going to be interviewing Wesley Hill. Uh, Wesley Hill is a gay Christian. Those are the words he uses for himself. We'll talk about that in the interview. Uh, He's a gay Christian who's committed to celibacy. He's committed to following the Bible's command for sex to be within marriage between a man and a woman, Uh, but he is not attracted to women. He's attracted to men and is really a leader uh, in my neck of the woods, a leader as far as helping others who are same-sex attracted or gay, lesbian, 
um, LGBTQ who want to follow the Bible, who, who are following Jesus and are, and are saying, look, this is God's design for sex. And um, Wesley discovered he was gay when he was seven years old. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that today. Wesley, I'll read you his bio here in a moment. Uh, but also, uh, this this month, it, it kind of has a, a theme to it, really. Uh, a, a week from today, I'm going to be interviewing Preston Sprinkle. So I had Preston on back in the fall. We had a good conversation about how to talk about polarizing issues, you know, both politics as well as sexuality. Preston's previous book, People to be Loved, is about the LGBTQ community and how to love people well. And his new book is called Embodied, and it is about transgender identities, the church, and what the Bible has to say. So that's going to be a super helpful topic to tackle together uh, next Friday. Uh, be recording that on the 22nd. It'll probably post a few days after that. And then on the 29th, to round out the month, I'm going to be interviewing Lori Krieg. So Lori is married to her husband, Matt, and they co-wrote the book, An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. So Lori is a woman who is attracted to women, and Matt is a man who is attracted to women. And they talk about how they make their marriage work. They talk a lot about marriage in and of itself. They have a huge ministry to gay and same-sex attracted Christians, and I am really looking forward to that conversation. And for those those of you, I don't know, there might be a few people out there wondering why talk about this stuff so much? Why talk about sexuality so much? And I think it's really easy if you are a straight Christian uh, single or married, but I think particularly if maybe if you're married, you know things you're not in. You're not in that that anxiety ridden season of singleness and of dating and all that uncertainty. You're married, and it's certainly not that marriage is is perfect. And and I'm the last person to make marriage into an idol. Uh, you know, I speak very candidly about it. I have a whole first chapter of Beyond the Battle that that talks about you know, the realities of marriage and, and, and what's good about, about being single as well. But my point is, if you're married or just if you're straight in general, I think it's easy to, this stuff isn't a part of your world. It's not a part of your life, but that's part of the problem. So when a gay or same-sex attracted person comes to your church uh, and, you know, maybe you're a pastor or you're just a member and you're in conversation and their experience is never talked about. Their homosexuality, LGBTQ, uh, the whole kind of the gamut of sexuality isn't talked about from the stage. Uh, it's And if it is, it's not talked about well. It's not talked about in a way that has empathy and compassion. It, it really alienates anyone who has feelings of same-sex attraction from the church. They're going, who can I talk to about this? If I... I you know, they never talk about it at my church. It's my, my experience isn't even validated. You know, every sermon I hear validates all these other experiences, but mine isn't validated. It's really important that we talk. I mean, I think we need to be talking about sex and pornography and all these things regularly in our churches because from the pulpit, and, and, and so that that can trickle down to all other aspects of the church, uh, small groups and other ministries to say, you have permission to talk about this. This is a part 
of life. Your sexuality is a part of life. Sexual struggles, to me, are some of the biggest struggles in all of life. So we should definitely be talking about these things. So that's why we're talking about this stuff. On the flip side, a podcast even allows you to talk a little bit more candidly about some of these things. And my hope is to create an environment, an environment of hope and of healing and of community and of love uh, for people that are struggling, for people that are confused, as well as to kind of educate the church Uh, For those that are unfamiliar with these things, uh, allow this conversation with Wesley to to educate you to go, man, I I want to be the type of person that a gay or same sex attracted person can feel comfortable confiding in, can feel comfortable talking to, can feel comfortable reaching out to for love and for community. And uh, if you're not there Please pray and read. Read these books by Wesley. Uh, Read Preston's book. Read Lori and Matt's book. And God will do a work in you to get you to the point where you can be someone uh, that gay and same-sex attracted people can talk to. So without further ado, let me read Wesley's bio to you, and then we will bring him in for today's interview. Uh, Wesley is Associate Professor of New Testament at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, and a Priest Associate in the tr- at Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Pittsburgh. His PhD in New Testament is from Durham University in the UK. He's the author of Washed and Waiting, Reflections on Christian Faithfulness and Homosexuality, Paul and the Trinity, Persons, Relations, and the Pauline Letters, Spiritual Friendship, Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian, and The Lord's Prayer, A Guide to Praying to Our Father. Uh, I should mention, too, as I read through those uh, those books, we did Spiritual Friendship as our book club book on the flip side, and that's what led to this interview. So really excited to have Wes in. You can also find him on Twitter, at Wesley Hill. And let's talk to Wesley now. All right, Wes, thank you so much for joining us on the flip side today. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We are so glad to have you. So I'm going to give a little lead into the genesis of this interview, which I told you a little bit about as well. I was interviewing Todd Wilson about his book, uh, Mere Sexuality. Uh, That was our first time doing a book club book on the flip side. And I was asking, uh, I asked him a question about... uh, I don't remember how he worded in his book, but covenant friendships and um, a question had come in from a listener who who was a gay Christian was asking some questions about covenant friendships. And and, uh, Todd gave me an answer and he and I both kind of stumbled and bumbled. And I said, you know, we're two straight married pastors. I need to ask Wes this question himself, you know, and Todd <laughs> laughed because he was kind of like off the hot, the hot seat then. And, right, uh, right. <laughs> and th- literally that's why that was just the beginning of reaching out to you. So thank you. Well, for, that's great. Well, thanks. It's a podcast well, uh, dream come true. Dreams come true here on the flip side. <laughs> well, that's a fun connection because Todd, I don't know if he mentioned this or you guys discussed this, but he's an old friend of mine. We We got to know each other when we were both studying at Wheaton College. Uh, I was an undergrad at the time and he was a grad student and we would meet in the campus coffee shop and talk theology and, uh, you know, we'd have our Bibles out and yeah. be discussing different things. So so that's a fun, uh, fun connection. That's cool. I know he 
dedicated mere sexuality to you, I believe. So I, yes, I, I imagine there was a honor. connection there. Yep. That's pretty great. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. exactly. Uh, so that question that I, I mentioned, we're going to get to in a little bit. That's sort of the deep end of where we're going. Uh, I want to do a little bit of walking through the shallow end first, if that's okay. Uh, just sure. for some of our audience that might be new to this conversation, I think anytime we talk about uh, sexuality, uh, there's people that they live this. This is their world. And right. there, there's others right. who, uh, you know, I don't know how to say it. They just, for whatever reason, um, haven't been exposed to this conversation yet. And there's, yep. I think, some helpful maybe education that can get them to a point to kind of be at the table to talk about some of these sure. some of these things. So, um, and as, as you know, so many nuances to this as well. And so um, one thing I want to ask you about, and some of this was, uh, this isn't me being contentious to you. I'm uh, in, in any way, this is for me as I blogged even. I, so I blogged mm. through spiritual friendship and yes. um, I would have friends uh, and asking me, um, why are you using the word gay Christian? You know, and I um, mm. I uh, attended uh, Preston Sprinkles events. I forget what he called mm. them, the Center for Faith events. And, you know, he always does a great job of explaining like why he yes. uses the word gay and, you know, in that sort yes. of thing. And I've had Preston on the podcast as well. But I'm wondering if you can just explain uh, maybe first sort of the whole debate in, in a way about same-sex attraction versus gay Christian. And then sure. second, uh, why you choose to use the term gay Christian for yourself um, in your life and in your writing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's, it's, it's a big question. And you're right that a lot of people are still trying to figure out where they land on that and, and how they ought to think about that in terms of Christian faith and biblical faithfulness. So um I think I'd probably start just autobiographically and say, you know, I, I was raised uh, to be a Christian. I, I never really uh, wandered away from that in God's providence. Um, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was a little kid with my mom and, and got baptized and was really just kind of thrown into the life of the church. And so I always have understood myself to be a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved by Jesus Christ. Uh, he has forgiven my sins. He's made me part of his family. So that's kind of the starting point for for identity for me, um, and and I think that's true for all of us, you know, regardless of uh, what particular ethnicity we may come from or, or or what particular employment we have. We're all Christians first and foremost. Um, but I also, as I grew older, I realized that I was pretty much exclusively same sex attracted, and um, you know, I, I I wrestled with what that meant for my life of discipleship. You know, did, did I need to try to uh, escape from same-sex attraction through kind of ex-gay therapy or something like that? And uh, for a variety of reasons, and we can maybe get into this later if you want, uh, that that didn't seem uh, like a realistic option for me. Um, uh, some of the some of the patterns of my uh, upbringing just didn't fit the narrative that the ex-gay uh, movement was offering. So I, I didn't I didn't really find that to be a viable choice for me. Um, and on the other hand, of course, there were voices that were arguing that no, Christians can support and, and encourage same-sex marriage and you can pursue, you know, a life of discipleship in that context. And, and I just could never square that with my understanding of scripture. So I was I was reaching for ways to try to describe for my fellow believers mm -hmm 
this this kind of strange in between place where I was. I I I hadn't left behind my same sex attraction. Um, it's still very much there. Uh, you know, years years after puberty at this point. Um, uh, but nor nor have I given up. You know, my Christian faith. So so I use I use the word Christian as my fundamental identifier. But I also, as you say, I, I call myself gay. I, I usually don't just use the phrase gay Christian by itself. I'll, I'll usually talk about being a celibate gay Christian mm-hmm. um, yeah. or, or I'll just talk about being celibate and gay. I don't I don't necessarily make it part of the, um, you know, the phrase, if you like, by which I, I yeah, identify. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think I think where people stumble sometimes and, and maybe get a bit nervous sometimes is, is it sounds as though it's making, if, if you use a phrase like gay Christian or even celibate gay Christian, it sounds like you're giving sexuality too much of a place in terms of your your core understanding of yourself. And so there are believers who prefer to say, you know, I'm a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction, and which kind of distances it a, a bit, you know, from, from the kind of identifying label that, that gay is. So, um, I, you know, I think it's an in-house debate that, that uh, Christians are having among themselves. And, and I don't think it has to divide us. I don't think it has to be a kind of fundamental issue that we uh, kind of anathematize each other uh, over. So that's kind of where I am on it. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I love that what you ended with. I remember Preston saying that as at his event, he said, we divide over so many things in the church. And he's going, we have a vulnerable community of yeah, LGBTQ exactly. Christians who yeah. are trying, like they're trying right. to be a part of the church. They're trying That's to be right. celibate, right. you know, and he's like, we don't make it any easier on them when we yeah. divide yeah. them further and like pit yes. them against one another <laughs> so yes i think that's right that's yeah. a good word and i'm glad preston's out there yeah. being that drum yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so i kind of say it even to kind of help explain some of your language in advance so that you don't sure. have to worry about disclaiming it uh and then and some of the things that i've written the same and i like even what you said i you know saying celibate gay christian because i've i've heard yeah people talk to me and say well they shouldn't put gay before christian i'm like well i mean it's right at this point, we're talking about just right. grammar. I don't think they mean like gay yeah, number exactly. one, Christian number two. <laughs> exactly. But in that, if, exactly in that rule book, then now celibate is number one. So there you go. Now you have yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there you, you know. go. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's helpful. And honestly, and uh, something that helped me. Uh, I don't know. I think for a lot of straight pastors, and I'm I'm 38. So I mean, I grew up. Okay. I was in high school in the 90s. I graduated in 01. Yep. So I mean we were using in our youth group, you were using like gay slurs and stuff. Like it was just totally normal. And nobody, it wasn't until I was, I was pastoring and I had a a good friend. um, And he was, I think he was, I don't know how out he was publicly. I think Mm. he was out. He was out publicly, but we were friends uh, first. And, and um, he called himself a gay Christian. This was like back Mm. in, 2000, I don't know, eight, we became, no, no, okay. he was like one of my first friends in Lansing. So that was like 2004. Um, okay. And he's like 15 years older than me, but I've walked okay. with him on this journey. Yeah. And what he said was, um, and, and I was going to get to this later, but I'll, I'll mention it now. And you can tweak me on this if, if, if there's sure. anything. I, I teach that um, we don't control our attractions. So I, I'm married to my wife, but 
other women are still attractive to me. So like right. the, the day I right. got married, it didn't make all other women unattractive. Right. Um, yes. They're still attractive. A pretty woman walks in the room. She's pretty. And then it, to me, it's it's what I do with that attraction. It's it's yeah. it's that that's where that line is to lust or to sin. It's it's what I act on, and you know if I entertain yes. whatever, that kind of thing. And so uh, for my friend and and for others that are same sex attracted, um, they don't control their attraction. And I think that was the right. big obvious uh, misnomer. If that's that's too light of a word, I can't think of a better word. But back in the eighties and nineties, like people. Right. The church just thought, oh, yeah, you can control that. You can choose. You can choose otherwise. And I'm right. I'm sure right. some people still right. think that. But I think mo for the most part, m myself, many of us, you know, we go, OK, you don't choose that. You don't pick that. Right. So right. if you don't choose it um, and if it's the action, that's a sin, then it's yeah. then the attraction's not a sin. And that's what I what I teach is like yeah. gay attraction, same sex attraction, not a sin. Uh, it's it's yeah. what you do with the attraction. So. Can you want to tweak that at all? Like, I'm, I mean, you sure, are, sure. this is yeah, your no, world. I, I, how would I yeah, make well, that, I think, how do I, I make think, that better? Yes. No, I, I think I'm largely with you on that. Um, I, I think for me, one of the big turning points in kind of coming to terms with my own sexuality when I was a teenager and, you know, then on into my early twenties was just, you know, recognizing the fact that, that I didn't go looking for this, um, this, these attractions just sort of, um, it felt as though I woke up one day and, and, and had them, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a conscious decision to experience same sex attraction. And I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm basically your age. I'll turn 40 this year. And um, I, I think that uh, in the evangelical Christianity that I was raised in the kind of default assumption was, yeah, this is a voluntary thing. You know, people choose this lifestyle. And it was talked about in, in terms of like a like a buffet of options and you, you shouldn't go this way. You should go God's way instead. And I just think you're right that 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 leaves out the experience of so many of us that this 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 really is an unchosen experience that we have. I think where I might tweak what you say is I, I, I the way I understand the Bible, even our uh, even things we don't have direct control over can still be are, are still fallen you know yes. they're, they're still yeah. part of the fallenness and the brokenness of the world so um you know i i, I also um you know experienced depression and things like this and i didn't go looking for that either right but i wouldn't i wouldn't want to just say that it's a kind of neutral phenomenon i i think it's i think it's it's a participant in the in the brokenness and the fallenness of the world. And I would put the same sex attraction as well as opposite sex attraction as we all currently experience yeah, it yeah. under that same rubric. So I, I don't think I, don't, I would not want a gay uh, believer to go around feeling that they are simply just by virtue of existing, that they're actively provoking God's displeasure or something like this. You know, so I, I, I think you're right to say. Um, you know, if someone is if someone is seeking to refrain from sexual sin, if they're pursuing holiness, and yet they still have this this same sex orientation, they're not. They should not feel that they have to hang their head in shame. You know, the blood of Jesus covers them. Uh, they're they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and and so I I do really want to push back on shame, which I think is where where you're going with yeah. that. You know, you don't want people to just walk around feeling like wow not only do I need to be celibate, but I need to figure out how to get rid of these attractions before I can be uh, assured of God's, you know, God's pleasure and God's right. favor in my life. I, I, I would not want someone to feel that. Yeah, that's super helpful. And yeah, you kind of hit on both things. Well, some of the pushback I've gotten, even since writing that first episode, a pastor friend of mine mentioned what you mentioned, yeah. 
So you're actually right on track with him and that that idea that mm. he even was saying like heterosexual attraction um, and then homosexual attraction. Uh, homosexual attraction would be part of like the fallen fallen world, fallen nature. Right. Whereas a heterosexual right. attraction, like you would, you know, you would tell a 15 year old, oh, yeah, you have these attractions. God gave them to you, yep. you know, whatever, like right. heterosexual. Right. And I think that is important. Um, but full circle back to my friend for him, he used the word gay Christian because he goes, if it's not a sin to have these attractions and mm -hmm. if the English language word for having yeah. these attractions means is gay, then he's like, I'm gay. Yeah. And if for him, if he said he wasn't gay, if he said I was same sex attracted, that was right. shame inducing. It was like I'm having to avoid yeah. something. I'm having yeah, to avoid something about me um, right. that I don't control. And so he became comfortable. Right. Uh, that freed him from shame. Yeah. Was using gay yeah. Christian. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, that's that's really good. And I, I do think for a lot of us, there's an element of honesty uh, about it too. Like yeah. if I, if I say. I struggle with same-sex attraction, which is how some Christians say it. To me, that feels a bit dishonest to my own experience. It, it makes it sound like it's a kind of occasional thing, perhaps, or an episodic thing. Um, whereas if I say gay, I feel like I'm being more upfront about yeah. what it is I actually experience and the community that I feel like I belong to and that I feel that I have some, um, you know, that I care about right. and, 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 and want to serve. So yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, none of our terminology is perfect and we all, yeah. I think need to have a lot of grace with each other, as we said earlier. Yeah. And I think particularly for straight pastors like myself and straight people, it, I think we need to be really careful about telling someone who's gay or same sex attracted what they should or shouldn't call themselves right uh, because right, right, right. I have friends who use same-sex attracted and they have really valid reasons for that and and I'm not yes. gonna try to convince yep. them otherwise and it's you know yep. vice versa I think um, yeah. I I don't think straight people understand you know the the weight and the burden the cross that that you're bearing yeah. and and um, yeah I think it's pretty unfair for us to say well here's what you should call yourself you know and when, yeah. when anyway so for for what that's yep. worth, I appreciate no, I agree. what you have to say because there's your. Shoes. I think we need to. I I just think we need to turn down the temperature on this whole this yeah. whole debate. You know, it, give people freedom to explore terminology, yeah. especially if they're in the church and wanting to follow Jesus. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're, we're all on this, on the same team here. Yeah, that's that's. No, oh, I totally agree. Um, within that, I, there's something you mentioned in spiritual friendship, and uh, and I've it's really really helpful. So. Um, hmm. So we have this idea that being gay means like if you're a man, you're having sex with men. Right. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk about you mentioned I'll, just a couple of things from the book? Um, you mentioned sure. how being gay is like being it would be like being left handed um, mm. or you gave an analogy of like the bookshelves um, in mm. your office uh, versus the blot, the drop of ink uh, into mm. into the water. Can you try to explain that for I'm thinking of straight Christians here who are going, yeah. um, they just have this real problem with like, not problem. I should reverse that. They don't understand how gay is, how it encompasses more than who you're, than, than your sex life. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I forget exactly how I put it in the book, but what I think I was trying to get at is that, um, so there is there is the inclination or the attraction that I feel toward um, you know same sex sexual intimacy, and I think that intimacy is forbidden in God's word. So I, I do view that as a sinful temptation. But I would also 
I would also add there is a lot um, about the way I, um, <laughs> I guess, kind of exist in the world. You know, the kind of books that I'm drawn to, the kind of friendships I tend to make, um, uh, the kind of art that I find compelling. That that seems inflected or influenced by the fact that I'm gay. Um, and, and, and I want some way to try to acknowledge all of that and look for good in a lot of that. Um, um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of thread a, a needle here where I do want to say there's an element of what we call gay experience that is uh, about sinful desire. You know, it is about temptation and we need to, um, we need to flee temptation. You know, we need to, we need to resist, uh, our fallen inclinations in that way. Um, but there's a whole lot about the contemporary experience that we, you know, call gay. Uh, we call it gay experience. That's not about sex, um, and it's it's not even about sexual desire necessarily, as we as we think of that. It's about a kind of sensibility, I might say, or or a, or a culture. And some of it, I think, is is um, you know, so many gay people have had to um, figure out how to exist in really marginalized places. So there are things that we perhaps see from our angle of vision that that straight people don't see, and and I think I think it's that it's that element of community, it's that element of solidarity, it's that element of um, kind of a shared communal experience that um, that I want to say there's blessing here. You know, yeah. we we can look for God's presence here in the midst of this. So I feel like I'm being a little vague. So feel free to feel free to no, no. Uh, to come it's, back with, with that's other helpful questions. And and really good. I, I just I think when I so your analogy of the bookshelves in the book, it was sort of like you have these different bookshelves in your office. <clears throat> and um for, I think for me as a straight person, I think of my life as bookshelves. Like here's my sexual yeah. attractions on this shelf. Right. And I don't ever I don't think about like the rest of my life being influenced by yeah, the fact that yeah. I'm attracted to women. And so, yeah, that's that, interesting. I, th right. I think that's why it's harder for straight Christians who are trying to like engage yeah. in this debate. It's harder yes. for them to go, Oh, you can still be gay, but you know, you're celibate, but you can still use right. the word gay and like identify as gay because we don't identify as straight and in right. all the things that we do. And so we think sure. it's like apples to apples, but what I'm, yeah. what I'm understanding from you and from others is, is just like, it's different, you know, like it's, yeah. it's it, uh, because you, you know, you were seven years old, you were seven years old. It wasn't like you weren't, yeah. you weren't having sex. I mean, you, but, but right. you, you realized, right. um, and, and my friend's uh, story is similar to that. And, and others, yeah. usually it's like puberty or like seven, yes. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You're not you're not having sex, but you realize, whoa, I'm right. I'm this. There's something different. Yeah. There's something different. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And I think I it's it's a good point about um, you know, a, a lot of my straight friends would never they don't go around thinking much about being straight. Yeah. And I, right. I think there is I think there is a kind of my majority minority dynamic going on there because sure. people in the minority have to they're just more aware of their kind of marginalized existence. Yeah. And so um, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us have grown up. Uh, I was pretty lucky in this regard. I, I didn't experience a lot of this, but a lot of gay people experience bullying or, you know, name calling or, you know, slurs, like you were saying a moment ago. And I think it's, it's, it's being on the receiving end of those kind of uh, unpleasant experiences. It, it reinforces the fact that you are different, you know, mm -hmm. you belong to a, mm -hmm. a kind of different community. And so, yeah, I think the more the more that straight believers can just be aware of that that yeah. that 
Um, that that, and I think it's the same often for people of color. You know, uh, I I don't go around thinking too much about being white. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I I think along with the rest of the country, I've had to think a lot more about it uh, recently. You know, as we've witnessed more police brutality and things like this. But for the most part, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't consume my thinking. And, and I think that's just because in my context, I'm in a majority white context. And so, you know, we, we don't really have to give it much thought. Yes. Um, and, and I think there's an analog there for this this conversation about gay things. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing where uh, if you're it's very hard uh it's very difficult if you're white to even find a place where you would be the, the minority, you know, and, yeah. and if you're in that place, I visited uh, different churches during a, a sabbatical summer in, in, in my town and I attended an all black church. There's 300 mm. black people there and I was the only white guy there. And I, yeah. it's probably the yeah. only time in my entire 38 years of living that I've experienced that, that feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. is a very yeah. unique feeling. You go, Whoa. Yeah, like, yes. I'm glowing yes. right now. Like that's how I felt. Yes, right? exactly. And, um, <laughs> right. and I do a lot of I do a lot of racial reconciliation work. My church that I was pastoring um, in Lansing, we were intentionally multi-ethnic, you know, mm. and mm. and mm. continuing in that work where I live now in Grand Rapids. Um, mm. uh, so these were this was like an intentional experience for me. But people of color. They experience yeah. that every single day of their life yeah, when yeah. they walk through downtown, yeah. when they walk to their, yeah. when they go to their, their school or their work. And, right. and so, yeah, I was, I was trekking with you there. And I think that is a good, yeah. um, a good analogy, especially when you, you include like the marginalization. It's not just about being different. Right. It's about the bullying and the, um, the various yeah, um, exactly. legal you know, all that, all that kind exactly. of stuff. So, yeah. 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 yeah I, I remember talking with, um, I don't know if you know the name Eve Tushnet. Uh, she's a wonderful writer in this whole area of, of Christianity and sexuality. Um, but she, she talks about how, um, you know, Christians can give gay people a hard time for calling themselves gay without thinking about the fact that, um, that oftentimes, you know, they're the ones who who applied the labels to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like they, they reinforce that's who you are. You're different. You know, you're 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 this oddball. You're this freak yeah. of nature. Yeah. And so I think one thing that our churches could do if we want people to care less about identity labels, which might be a good thing. You know, if we all if we all uh, do that, one of the things that that straight people can do is is make it try to create cultures in churches where it feels less necessary for people to claim a label. You know, you might you might start by asking why why is it so important for the gay uh, members of my congregation to label themselves that way? Hmm. And could it be that the primary problem is not with them kind of clinging to this potentially idolatrous label, but it may actually be more of a problem with our church culture that makes them feel as though they have to seek solidarity with people who are like them because our culture is not very hospitable and our yeah. culture is not really making it uh, very viable to live a, a life in, in rich community and friendship here. Right. So, yeah, I just I think we all should do some soul searching in that regard. Yeah, oh, that's good. I remember Eve's name from your book. Now that you mentioned it, you, uh, you. Yeah. Her yeah. She wrote a, she wrote a blurb on the back. That's the right. Back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask one more question. It's kind of theological and then we'll jump into covenant friendship stuff. This was just from a conversation sure. I had with, a you know, a friend and this is, this is like bigger theological. So, uh, sure. it, it involves this, this topic of sexual orientation. Um, 
I, I had explained to my friend how um, the attraction wasn't a sin. I didn't, we didn't, I don't know if I got into the fallen, the fallen uh, yeah. nature. Yeah. And that, that, that may help with this answer even. But he had a really, this is a mature Christian dude. He's probably listening. Um, mm. He had a really, he had a really hard time um, theologically saying, I was born this way. He said, mm-hmm. he mm. said, these were yeah. his words. I wrote them down. Um, he said, this is an accusation against God. It puts God on trial. Mm. So I think mm. it's a bigger theological question of, okay, yeah. if you're born this way, and again, we could be talking here, Calvinist versus Arminian, you know, lots of big right. questions here. But <laughs> yeah. um, how would you help, like you're having coffee with someone and they ask that, yep. how can you say yep. someone's born this way, but God then God then did it, yeah. right? Then Did God do yeah. that to him? And he's saying... That puts God on trial. So I just right. thought your your perspective on that question would be sure, helpful. Sure. I, I you know, the 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 gay friends that I have who who use that phrase, you know, born this way, I, I think what they're trying to do first and foremost is let you in on the experience that they have of their sexuality. You know, that they they don't remember ever choosing this, they don't remember um, you know, seeking it out uh, or even wanting it. It just sort of it just sort of happened, you know. They, they, like you say, for some people, they they know even in childhood that that they're they're developing crushes for members of the same sex rather than the opposite sex, you know, while all, all their friends are experiencing something different. So, so I, I think that's the first thing to say is that, um, uh, you know, when when we talk that way, we're trying to we're trying to um, explain a phenomenon that we experience. It's it's a kind of phenomenological phrase, I think. Mm. Um, theologically, I, I, I would agree with your friend that we need to be really careful uh, because Christians not only believe in creation, we believe that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. You know, God is the one who gives us our being. But we also believe in, in the fall and the reality of sin and the fact that even as the psalm says, uh, in sin were we conceived, you know, even before we were born, we were already participating in the fallenness of the world, you know, and, and we're, we're born with an, with an orientation away from God, you know, a, a kind of idolatrous bent to our yeah. nature. And I think we have to hold on to both of those. And, and so um, if, if someone says, well, look, how could, how could this be wrong that I have these sexual feelings? Cause I just think I came out of the womb with this stuff. You know, I, I, I didn't go looking for it. It's just, that's just how I am. You know, I, I was, I was born with these feelings. I think we need to we need to say at that point that doesn't necessarily mean that they're neutral or that they're given by God, because not only are we created by God, we're also born in sin. And so I think holding on to both of those realities, the, the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of the fall, you know, sin yeah. is important here. So what what I would what I would want to say is um, we can all experience things that feel deeply ingrained, deeply hard, hardwired. And that does not mean that God is the ultimate author of those things. Um, you know, God, God, and you're right, we could get into, uh, you know, a theological discussion here, but God allows those things in our lives in his sovereign purposes uh, for our good, you know, and, and we have to trust that even in the midst of something that feels so deeply part of our nature, um, that, that, that we can still, um, we can still follow the Holy spirit and, and, and resist it and not, not draw a direct line from that thing to God's creative purposes. So I, I hope that yeah, helps. It, at least a bit. it yeah. does help. And honestly, I think we just often as Western 
people don't like tension. We don't right holding on to the doctrine of creation and a doctrine of sin at the same time. At the same time, that's right. That's right. um, I'm I'm going through the Psalms right now, just devotionally, and uh, I love it because it's all tension all the time. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. This is beautiful. Yeah, you know we need more of this anyway. So (laughs) yeah. Um, well, let's jump into covenant friendships and, and, and feel free to, you know, catch me up on, um, uh, spiritual friendship. You know, there's different words sure. kind of, kind of used. I want to kind of begin with a joke that, that you told when I heard you speak. Um, I think it was, it was a few years ago, probably right after the book came out. It was at Calvin mm-hmm. college now Calvin, oh, yeah. uh, university. And you said something like, uh, yeah, there's no there's no market at all for this book because all the <laughs> all the like conservative Christians are going, you can't have a friendship like that, a relationship right. like that, and right. all the, right. the LGBTQ community at large is going, what are you talking about? No sex? <laughs> like we're not. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. So I'm going to kick off yes. with that, and then um, yes. But I'll just let you kind of go and explain. Sure. Uh, you know. Sure explain what a covenant friendship is or, or yeah. a relationship, you know, how you want to explain it. And then I, I certainly will uh, follow up with yeah. some, some questions. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I've, I've done a lot of interviews, you know, over the years about my book on friendship, but I haven't done many lately. So it's fun to be cool. talking about this again with you. Um, yeah, you know, this, this idea for me of spiritual friendship or covenant friendship, it, it, it grows out of my own experience of wrestling with um, wrestling with the fact that I was given a lot of instruction in in churches by Christians over the years about what I wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, you know, I, I went through the Bible passages with pastors and mentors, and they said, you know, um, as best we can tell, God's word says uh, marriage is is the covenant union of a man and a woman, and that sexual intimacy belongs there. And and I found that compelling. I still find that compelling. I do think that's the teaching of Scripture on this. But that doesn't really tell me much about how I'm supposed to live my life. Yeah. You know, it, it tells me what I'm not supposed to be doing, the kind of sex I'm not supposed to be having. But it doesn't really give me much of a map or a blueprint for, um, you know, what does it look like to be someone who is who is both loved and giving love, you know, uh, giving and receiving love in the church. And so that was that was the kind of pastoral problem that I was wrestling with. And I again, I'll mention Eve Tushnet. I, I started reading her blog. Gosh, it was probably 2000 eight or nine when I started reading her. Um, And she was writing a lot at that time about this kind of forgotten history uh, throughout the church of committed, even vowed friendship. And that was totally new to me. You know, I knew about David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, you know, that they had a kind of uh, vowed friendship or covenant friendship, but I didn't realize that there's a long tradition of this in the church. and a lot of times it was it was between single people. Um, you know, you think of someone like John Henry Newman. Um, he had a he had a very close uh, male friend. Newman was a celibate man, uh, first a, an Anglican priest and then a Roman Catholic, and he was actually buried with his best friend. You know, they had they had this kind of lifelong devoted friendship. And as I was reading and learning about this, it just really sparked my imagination because it, it, I, I realized this is what I've been looking for. Mm. Um, I want to, I want to see what, if I'm, if I'm committing my life to celibacy, you know, if I'm, if I'm refraining from sexual intimacy and I'm not going to pursue marriage, um, how am I not just going to be isolated and, and alone? 
And so it, 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 it kind of struck me with the, the force of revelation that, wow, like we have this rich history of friendship. Let's try to rediscover this yeah. and let's reimagine what that might look like today. So in my particular case, um, it's, it's, and this is just kind of a, a, a fluke, I suppose, of my life, but it, it hasn't, um, it, it, let me put it positively. It's, it's mostly, I've mostly experienced this kind of rich devoted friendship with married couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so not, not other single people, uh, primarily for me. Um, and I actually share a home uh, right now with a married couple and their two children who are my godchildren. So, um, it's that kind of thing that I want to hold up before the church and say, we need to be, um, talking with gay believers about this. We, we don't need to assume that they're, going to be um, able to flourish if they're just living alone, if they, if they don't have anyone that they are committed to and can and can give and receive gifts, uh, you know, of, of service and sacrifice with. Um, so so that's that's really where it where it kind of arose for me. And I'm, I'm happy to go any direction there yeah, if you want to talk more about it. Um, I want to get to just to make sure we get the big the big question for um we run out of time. I have a couple others that I'm curious about as a reader myself and whatnot. Sure. Let's jump right in off, you know, high dive, deep, deep end. The, so this, this friend who, who did the book club of mere sexuality, he also has done the book club through spiritual friendship. Uh, this Great. is, this is uh, a friend. Like I, I yep. walk, we walk together on, on this and yep. um, what he wants to know. And again, I, and I want to preface this too, Wes, uh, I hope you laugh when I say this, like you're not God. And I want to acknowledge that. I think sometimes we look, well, exactly. Wesley Hill said this. And so it's right. right. Or it's he's right. wrong or whatever. You're right. what I respect a lot about you is like, you're a dude living his life and you've got to, mm. you got to figure out a way, right. To live your life. And, yes. um, we'll talk if we have time again, you, you mentioned even, um, you know, is a risk in this? Yes. But what about the, the risks of not having this type yeah, of connection? Yeah. There's depression yeah. and suicide That's and right. pornography right. and all this right stuff. So yes. you're living your yes. life, but you also are a pastor. Right. And so and, right. and I'm asking you this as a pastor who's pastoring like right. this friend. Yep. And, and, and so what he wants to know, uh, he's gay and he's committed okay. to celibacy. He's a side yep. B, yep. side B gay yep. Christian. Um but he's trying to figure that out, and he wants to know: Can he have uh, a covenant friendship relationship with another gay uh, side B Christian who's committed to, you know, celibacy? Um, and that yes. really is where, when I was talking to Todd uh, back to that last episode, that's yep. kind of where yep. I was like, "Yeah, I think Wesley would answer this differently than you just did, Todd." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah we should ask him this question." Um, yeah, because yeah. the safe answer, the safe um, gospel coalition, which is great, uh, you know, kind of my people, conservative yeah. churches is, man, these covenant friendships are great um, yeah. if you're gay and it's with a straight guy. Um, right. But even right. in the book, you know, you, you lead into that, that this this can be for, I think, for two for two gay uh, yeah. people. So uh, yeah. talk yeah. about that. And, 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 and with that, with that lens that this guy's listening and, and he's trying to figure this sure. out, um, sure. what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah. Well, like a lot of issues in the Christian life, I think this is probably, this should probably be in the category of wisdom rather than law. Yeah. It's good. Um, so, so I think, I think that with many different things in the Christian life, we may, we may after praying and, and, you know, talking with people who know us well and who can give us good counsel, we may decide that something is technically permissible for us. We can do it. It's not a sin. 
but it may not be wise. Um, and and that, I, I think that's how I would want to talk about this. I, I do think um, there are cases where, you know, a, 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 cel- a gay person who wants to be celibate and is trying to follow Christ in that regard says, you know what, I, I just think for me um, to be in a, in a close, committed, um, you know, covenant relationship with someone else who's also perhaps even sexually attracted to me, uh, just like I am to him. Um, that, that, that probably won't serve us well in our sanctification. So I, I totally respect that. You know, there, there are people who make that choice and, and I just think, um, you know, God bless you if, if, if that's the way the Holy Spirit's leading you. I think where I get nervous is when we want to rule out, you know, from the outset, mm-hmm. we want we want to make a kind of black and white law yeah. that this kind of thing is, is absolutely forbidden hundred percent of the time, regardless of the circumstances. Um, I, I just, you know, I know, I know celibate gay Christians who are in committed friendships with other celibate gay Christians, and they, they would tell a different story. They would say, this actually has helped my growth in Christ, yeah. you know, and we're, we're very open with our pastor. We have accountability in our lives. You know, we, we, we're not trying to um, use this as an excuse to, you know, pursue sinful behaviors. Um, so I, again, maybe like the language issue, I just, I, I want to plead for, um, a kind of tolerance is too weak a word, but uh, a kind of uh, forbearance with each other and say, you know, I, I may I may think that this course of action you're pursuing is not wise or that it's maybe playing with fire or that it's, you know, you're 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 kind of courting temptation, as it were. Um, but I can see that there's nothing explicitly in God's word that would forbid it. And therefore I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to yeah. bless you. And um, so that's, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. And, and you brought up, you know, I, I write in the book about how um, we, we need to think about danger in a more holistic way. So, so there certainly are dangers that come from putting yourself uh, in the way of lust, right? Um, you know, if we, if we're, if we're intentionally placing ourselves in context where we know we're going to be tempted, um, that is playing with fire. But I think on the flip side, uh, if we hold ourselves back from covenant friendships, if we say, you know, I, I won't even consider that, I won't even mm-hmm. let myself go there. There's danger there too. Yeah. You know, there's there's the danger of, of depression. There's the danger of isolation. There's the danger of despair. And so I just, I, I want to, I guess, plead with my fellow conservative Christians yeah. to say, yes, lust is a danger, but yeah. so is, so is isolation. So is yeah. alienation. And let's just, let's, let's show some grace to each other as we sort this out under the, the wisdom and guidance of the spirit. It reminds me of, so my story is, you know, pornography and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kicked, kicked the habit, like before I got married yeah. and I thought everything would be yeah. great. Got back into pornography. I was a pastor, you know, first few years of mm. my marriage. Um, I wanted yeah. out of my marriage. I was, I was like yeah. struggling with uh, just the yep. promiscuous life. I, I was the dutiful. Yep. I was the dutiful one as well. I did it all the right way growing up, virgin. You yep. know, um, promiscuous yep. life was very appealing a, f- a few years in uh, to my marriage, and so I had a really dark season, you know, too, where um, I was on that edge and, and praise God. Yes. And I, this is sort of what I write about in Beyond the Battle is like, yeah. you know, finding the source, finding what I was really looking for, like that validation in Jesus and then finding yeah. com- community that supports yeah. me in that. Um, yes. But but with that, so from my own story and in, in, in walking with tons of guys, um, some yep. that have been gay uh, as well, but tons of guys that are struggling with porn or yep. Um, yep. just 
sinful relationships, you know, outside of their marriage or yes. we know, yes. like, I know if I'm, if I'm turning on Netflix and, it, and there's that little itch in the back of my head going, I bet I could find some porn on here. I bet I could find, yeah. you know, a naked woman yeah. or whatever. And then, oops, sure. oops, I just found that. Sure. But really the whole time I kind of have that in mind. Right, right, um, right exactly. I, I kind of, in some ways I kind of hear you saying, don't do that with these yeah. relationships. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. go, man, like on this book, on this paper, Wes Hill, he said, uh, you know, right. this is okay legally, yeah. and but but and kind of yeah. I kind of know when when we're together on that couch or whatever, sure. like sure. Um, sure, exactly, which is different than um, than what I hear you saying about these friends of yours yes. that that are um, doing something very healthy, and um, that's right, that's right. So. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's a perfect analogy, but that's kind of what I thought. No, that's of. helpful. That's helpful. I mean, it makes me think of what Paul says in Romans 13, you know, make no provision for the flesh. So it's, yeah. it's not just, it's not just the sin that we need to be avoiding. We need to be avoiding the occasions for sin. Yeah. You know, the, the, the places where we're actually kind of making a little, like you say, we're, we're kind of greasing the skids as it were, making it easier to sin down the road. And, and I, I, I just think with regard to, you know, committed friendships uh, again, um, you can do that whether you're in one or whether you don't have a co covenant yeah. friendship. There, 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 there's plenty of dangers on, on all sides. So, yeah. yeah, let's just let's try to, um, you know, care for each other and encourage each other's moral purity and, and uh, deep, rich community. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm about. Yeah, I love it. Well, let me let me get you out of here. Uh, any last thoughts you have for a listener who's struggling there? Uh, mm -hmm. same sex attracted. They haven't told anybody they're a Christian. Yeah. Um, what do you want to say to them? Yeah. I think the main thing I want to say is you are not alone. Yeah. Um, I, I know for myself before I came out, before I talked with my pastor and other friends about my sexuality, I felt so alone. I, I felt that, um, there was no one who would understand this. There was no one who would sympathize with it. Um, and I worried that this sort of put me beyond the pale in God's eyes, and I just, if that's you and you're listening, I want you to know that God is very near. Um, scripture says that he's near to the brokenhearted mm. and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So um, take that, take that step of reaching out, you know, send the email, make the phone call, yeah. um, text your friend, your pastor. Uh, don't, don't struggle in isolation. Uh, don't, don't, don't believe the lie that you're alone and that you're cut off from God. Um, you know, Christ is reaching out to you with, an unbreakable love. And he can do that through the faces and the arms of, of your fellow Christians. Uh, that, I think that's what I needed to hear. And, yeah. I, and I hope that's an encouragement to some of you. Amen. Thanks, Wes. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. This has been great. And I will say in the middle of this interview, you go, you said on the flip side, and then you said a great point. I'm totally going to like cut that out. Excellent. I'm going to put that in Excellent. my show intro. It's going to be beautiful. I love it. Thank <laughs> Fantastic. You I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Little yeah. Product drop in there. I like that. I like there that. There you go. All right, brother. Blessings. I know you got to go. Thanks, Thanks so much for Thanks. your time and uh Thanks. All right. See you, Wes. All right. God bless. All right, we're back. I hope you were blessed and encouraged by that interview. I hope it was thought-provoking. Uh, you, you know, you, you don't have to agree with everything that Wes said, and maybe some things he said challenged you. Uh, there's uh, this, what I hope you could get is that this is a nuanced conversation and that it is about hurting people. It is not about 
it is not about the we we split hairs, right? We split hairs on things. And and look, doctrine matters. And and I mean, you heard Wes say that he articulated doctrine better, way better than I could. Um, but know that this is about people that are hurting, and the way we approach the topic of sexuality, of homosexuality, of of transgender identities, when, when the way we preach on these things, the way we write about these things. If we never talk about them, it communicates something to people who are suffering. It communicates something to people that are that are marginalized. And it, it communicates that we aren't for them, that this community is not for them, that our love is not for them, that this this relationship with Jesus is not for them, that their experience is, is somehow is somehow not validated. And so I hope you're challenged in that area. I hope as you hear this, you go, you can count, count how, how many gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted people are in your life that, that talk to you about their, their struggles, their sexuality, their, their life. And, and there's lots of different rabbit holes, right? We could go down, and, and, and that wasn't the point of this interview. We'll go down a few more of those rabbit holes with, with Preston next week and a, a few more of those rabbit holes with Lori next week. You can go to my blog and, and noahflipiak.com and find the category uh, of, it's called LGBTQ, and I've blogged about this stuff for years, and there's lots of rabbit holes you can go down, and those are good. And they're really important, honestly. And I love your feedback and I love interacting with you because I want to help you and I want you to help me. And as we we're looking at what does Scripture allow for and not saying no to something that Scripture doesn't. Uh, I'm doing too many negatives, a double negative doesn't not allow for. We're not saying no to something that scripture doesn't say no to. There's a there's a there's a there's an area where there's I love what Wes said. It's it's about it's it's wisdom, not law. There's an area there of discernment. There's an area and and uh, I didn't have time in the the interview to uh, to get to this. Uh, Wes had to go and and uh, and totally totally respect that. We we had tons of time together, um, but I know you know some of your your concerns on blog comments or, or 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 social media comments as I as I wrote, and it's a valid concern. It's a concern. My maybe number one concern I'd have as a pastor is you know how can you be in one of these relationships? Isn't it just going to cause you to sin? And what what he mentions, and I kind of quoted it from the book in the interview, is if you don't allow people to explore these types of friendships, to have this type of community, the alternative is depression, suicide, pornography. The alternative, honestly, is jumping headlong into a gay sexual relationship and, you know, a lifestyle of living, um, I don't... Of, 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 you know, promiscuity or, you know, whatever it might be. It's if, if you don't, if we as a church don't create a path of community for gay, same-sex attracted people, if we don't create a path of intimacy, and that's done in two ways. The Spiritual Friendship Book, book talks a lot about all friendship, elevating all friendship. It's also done with these covenant committed sorts of friendship. In Wes's life, 
That's living with a married couple that has kids. It It's going to look differently for different people. But the alternative, the way we have it now is you have churches saying either nothing about it and it's just assumed that you know it's bad or a sermon on it's bad and 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 then you know the more kind of we've come a little bit to say well you can you can at least live a celibate life and leaving someone just with celibacy and isolation whether you're gay or straight that is not the biblical path of following Jesus that's not a healthy place to live uh, psychologically. It's not a healthy place to live emotionally, to be isolated. And, and there's married people that are isolated as well. But to be to be single and alone, that is not our solution. That's not the gospel solution to somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction. And what I love is that Wes is, is being courageous enough to give another solution. What's your solution? If you don't like his solution, go write a book on a better one. But it's not just isolation and alone. We we have to create space for singles in the church. And that's done partially through preaching on these things. It's done through taking away stigma of things that aren't sin. And certainly using the nuances that Wes talks about. And wow, what a nuanced conversation, the doctrine of creation, but also the doctrine of sin, and that same-sex attraction is part of a fallen world, but so is depression, so is anxiety. I think that was a great analogy because I suffer, struggle with anxiety and depression, and I tell people all the time, that's not a sin, but we also know it's not a part of God's perfect creation. That in, in, in Eden or in the new creation, or the, the new earth, uh, depression and anxiety, it won't be there anymore. But it is here now. And if you're a Christian and you're struggling with depression and anxiety, you'll hear lots of messages out there that if you have more faith, it will go away. Or even if your identity was grounded in Christ more, it would go away. Well, guess what? It doesn't. It doesn't always go away. And those there's some truths in that, that our identity is in Christ. And then what happens when the depression, the anxiety, or in Wes's case, the same-sex attraction doesn't go away. You, you can't walk around in shame going, the product of a fallen world that I discovered without choosing it is something that is a conscious, willful sin in my life. And so... What I want to do is call things willful sins that the Bible calls willful sins and to not to not bring shame on somebody for an attraction that is not willful. And and I do this with straight guys too. Guys are going crazy cuz they're like, "Man, there's there's pretty women all over the place. I'm 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 this, you know, wretched sinner." And and it's you and I and I like that Wes even said, "Our you know, heterosexual attraction is also broken, and, and, and you see that, right? You see that. And so there, there's so much nuance here, but I don't think the path of healing is the same for every gay or same-sex attracted person. And I don't think this path of healing is the same for a straight heterosexual person struggling with sexual brokenness as it would be for a gay 
Same-sex attracted person struggling with their sexual brokenness. Now, don't get me wrong. The solutions, the, the cure is Jesus. The cure is our identity in Christ. The cure is I'm looking for my acceptance and validation and my intimacy and who Jesus says I am. Colossians 1.22, the Father looks at me and says, you're holy, you're without blemish, you're free from accusation, that what Jesus has is mine, so that when the Father looks at me, he says, you're my son or my daughter whom I love, you're beloved, you're my beloved, and I love you, and I'm well pleased with you just as you are because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did, because of what Jesus did. That's the truth of the gospel. Every Christian has that when the Father looks at them. That's our path of healing and, and that is the solution, whether you're gay or straight. But the end result of that, I don't think we get to control. The Holy Spirit controls. And I know gay people who've been able to marry an opposite sex person. I'll be interviewing Lori Krieg in two weeks. And her and her husband, Matt, have done that. You have mixed orientation marriages. Not everyone is able to do that. We can't look at Lori and say, you were able to do it. Wes, you should be able to do it too. That's just not how it works. You can, tr you can try that. But I'm telling you, if, if you're trying that or you're thinking in these very binary terms, I would wager large amounts of money that you have very few gay or same-sex attracted LGBTQ friends in your life. You have very few in your church. You have very few that you are walking with on this journey. I'm telling you at the ground level, it is not that simple or clear cut. And if it was, they would choose it every time. But if we hold it over our heads as if that's the only solution for them, that's why people die by suicide. That's why people give up. That's why people leave their faith altogether. That's why people abandon God. That's why they, they, they dive into sexual, gay sexual relationships because we've, we've held up a standard to them that is an impossible standard. And I'm telling you, read the Psalms. I'm doing these daily devotionals through the Psalms. I forgot to mention this in the, the lead-in to the podcast, but sort of a New Year's resolution thing, sort of just something God put on my heart. When I was doing my devotional time, uh, December 30th, God challenged me to write a devotional every day on my blog through the Psalms. And so to do one Psalm a day. And so I decided to do that for the new year. So uh, I would love it if you followed that. I think, I think you'll be blessed by it. But it's a walk through the Psalms. It's one a day. Uh, I'm not doing it every day now, but there's a bunch on there. So you'll have plenty to keep you busy. Um, but I'll be doing that until I'm done with the Psalms, a de daily devotional through the Psalms. And I, I mentioned this uh, to Wes as, as I talked about the Psalms. There are so many verses in there. And I'm not saying we need to build all of our systematic theology around the Psalms, but we should not build our systematic the theology without the Psalms. So I'm going to say that one more time. I don't think we should build all of our systematic theology around the Psalms exclusively. They weren't written for that. But we also should not write out make, determine our systematic theology without including what the Psalms have to say as they are a part of God's divinely inspired word. And they are not binary. There's these, I mean, we're, I'm through Psalm, I think 13, and there's so many repeated themes in there. So many prayers where the psalmist is saying, 
God, you aren't listening to me. God, you have forsaken me. God, you're not answering my prayer over and over. And I, and I think these are prayers for same-sex attracted people. And we have to be comfortable. Maybe comfortable is the wrong word, but we, these are in our Bible. This is a part of our relationship with God. And when we create this binary, everything's a formula. Here's the quick answer. And this is how God will, will do it every single time. We, we create false realities, and when they don't come true, when they don't come true for people, that reality shatters, and then we blame the person. Well, you did it wrong. <laughs> no. The problem is we're not embracing the type of theological tension in prayer, in healing, in the, the way the psalmist wrestles with openly about the person being oppressed, and in the same psalm saying, God... Where are you? We're dying. This person's dying. You're letting the wicked rule. And then the same psalm praising God for rescuing the rescuing the needy, rescuing the oppressed from the wicked. Yet going on at the same time the is the wickedness and the oppression. And and we don't have a timeline for these things. We don't we it's it's not a if you do A, then B will happen. And and that's that's uncomfortable because we like sermons like that. In fact, a vast majority of our sermons are based around that. If you do A, B will happen. And so I'm I'm loving the slow plod crawl through the Psalms and finding a peace that is beyond words. Finding a peace that God is on the throne, even when the world <laughs> is going to hell in a handbasket. Whatever that phrase even means. I don't know. <laughs> Who made that up? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Everything's falling around us in the world. The wicked are, are ruling. I'm in this intense suffering. God's not answering my prayer. And yet there's peace and there's rest and there's refuge and there's shelter and there's God's love and there's his mercy and he is on the throne and he's not looking for a job. His job is not at stake. He is not on the hot seat. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God is speaking that to me through the Psalms. And it's beautiful. And I think a lot of that applies here. So I'll wrap up uh, th- that that discussion here. I've said a lot. Uh, Wes has said a lot. It's it's. Please know, this is not a topic you're going to solve in, in one podcast episode. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to interact. Uh, you, you're welcome to email the show, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. Uh, is our mailbag. You can email response about this episode. You can email questions. Maybe you have some questions you want me to ask Preston or Lori in the next two in the next two uh, episodes that we have coming up. But this is this is really really important. This is really really important. So thank you. Uh, if you want to connect with with Wesley, uh, Twitter at Wesley Hill, and I recommend um, all of his books. He's a he's a phenom- phenomenal theologian. Uh, he has a book on Paul and the Trinity and also a book on the Lord's Prayer uh, to check out. But I would say his books, Washed and Waiting, and his book, Spiritual Friendship, they are must-reads. And if you're a pastor, must-reads. Uh, Washed and Waiting is on Audible. It's an audio book. I listened to it on audio. Wow, just to hear. It was like hanging out with Wes for five hours and hearing his story and you 
If you don't have gay friends, if you don't have same-sex attracted friends or people in your church, you can talk to and hear their story. Uh, hear, hear Wes's story. Listen to his story uh, and, and let that be the beginning of this, of this journey for you. All right, there's one more serious thing that I need to say, like for real, one more real thing before we get to Noah's rant. So as, <laughs> we're not there yet. So don't, don't, turn, don't turn off the podcast yet. Uh, so the serious thing is this, you know, one thing, one thing Wes said at the very end is, you know, you're not alone. And that's true for, that's true for, uh, if you're gay, same sex attracted, it's true. If you're struggling with porn, you know, and you just feel like you're alone, you feel like you're the only one or you just don't know who to talk to. So there, you know, in ministry, we have to be, do things that are sustainable. And, and, and I hope I, and, and, and as Wes said, reach out to your pastor, you know, reach out to your circle of friends, talk locally about these things. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I want to share something with you that I'm encouraged. I'm excited about for this year for me. Um, so the beyond the battle groups that we do, there's seven week groups online and we've always struggled with what do we do after the groups are over? I can't sustain, you know, these relationships. We have to start new groups and honestly, for me, with the new Beyond the Battle book coming out, it's been this time of intense reflection on my need for more um, vulnerable community, as I call it, just transparent, vulnerable community in my own life. And so what we're going to be doing is a free Zoom uh, every week. Uh, the, the one I'm going to be at is Saturday morning. So it'll be Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern time. And for any alumni of beyondthebattle.net groups, you can you can join me in that that weekly Zoom for free. And and it's gonna we're gonna do breakout rooms. Uh, we're gonna go over each week a theme from the book. And the, the theme is about themes are about our identity in Christ. They're about who we are. They're about uh, how uh, how to not objectify women. I have had a handful of uh, gay or same-sex attracted guys go through uh, the group. I'm even curious. We, so I'll be putting the feelers out soon to all the alumni. I'm, I'm curious even if those guys want some community amongst themselves. I think that could potentially be be something that's that's powerful. Maybe not, though. I don't know. But just know that that's coming down the, the pike or the pipe. Pipe or pike? I don't know. I don't know. It's coming down the pike. Um, soon. And so, yeah, it's, this is a plug for beyond the battle.net groups. We, we right now have our, our waiting list email out. We're kind of going to wait to start new groups until we have enough guys. Uh, so you go to beyond the battle.net. Let me know on the waiting list. Those groups are a hundred dollars. They're seven weeks. And then after your group, you can jump in as an alumni to that, that weekly zoom, uh, with me and I'm going to, I'm going to be in it every week. It's for me. It's for me and for alumni guys. And then we, we may end up spinning off some other times during the week that guys want to get together as well, uh, that I wouldn't be at. So, so just want that as a, as a resource for you. Uh, if you're just going, man, I need some community. I'm telling you, we were doing zoom before zoom sucked. <laughs> COVID, uh, zoom's brutal now, but we've been doing beyond the battle zoom for two years. And really it, it is fantastic. It's the only zoom meeting that I don't hate. <laughs> uh, the level of community is, is 
phenomenal. And the fruit I've seen God do in those groups is phenomenal. And I'm, I'm really excited for this, this next step, this, this Saturday morning group, this con- continuing of the rhythm. We're going to let guys stay on the rhythm of the book if they want to. So the daily devotional rhythm, um, you know, the way that the book is laid out. So yeah, beyondthebattle.net, jump in on a group now, and that'll qualify you to jump in on that, uh, that, that continuous uh, Zoom meeting where we're going to just do truth reminders, remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, uh, have some accountability time with a tool we use called accountability card, uh, but reminding ourselves that we're loved, that the Father loves us, and just having a time to share with other dudes um, what we're thinking, the, the, the good and the bad and the ugly. So we really, really need that. We really, really need that. Uh, if you're a, a woman listening, uh, I, I, I don't personally lead, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a sexual brokenness ministry like that for women. I'm looking forward to talking to Lori, uh, in a couple weeks. So stay tuned. And I'm going to ask her kind of her best recommendations, uh, for women, uh, gay or straight, you know, just that sexual brokenness, um, stuff that I, th- I think, I really think we all struggle with to different degrees. Uh, but it's something that we all we all need. We all need these conversations in our lives. We need this type of community in our lives. So I want to welcome you into that, beyondthebattle.net. And yeah, so that's it. That's the end of the, the serious part of the podcast. It's the end for any, any sensible listener, uh, particularly if you were like, oh, Wesley Hill, I want to listen to that. I'm a sensible, you know, mature person that likes spiritual growth. Uh, I like, um, you know, serious topics. And I like, you know, just... I want to, I really want to, I really want to grow. Um, this is the time for you to turn off the podcast. Yeah. So, so, so see here, what's next is, is this thing called Noah's rant and angry brew actually sponsors Noah's rant. So that's, that, that tells you all you need to know about angry brew. They sponsor Noah's rant. So not only is Noah's rant, my own, my own creation, my own effort at humor. It's really, this is an effort at humor. Uh, this is an effort at comedy. We now, I now have a sponsor. So I have a sponsor enabling me. So if you want to enable Angry Brew to enable me, go ahead and go to Angry Brew, angrybrew.com. Use the promo code FLIP, which gives you 10% off your order, and you will be enabling Angry Brew to enable me to do Noah's rant. That's that's what the world is coming to. I'm not alone anymore, baby. I got, I got some support for more of Noah's rant. And look, if you've looked around the world, you know the world needs Noah's rant. Now more than ever, right? We need Noah's rant to fix this world. We tackle the hard-hitting, controversial huge things going on in our world on Noah's rant and we make them right. We fix them. You're welcome. So without further ado, you've been warned. Turn off the podcast if you are sensible and mature. Okay, if you're still listening, it is your fault. You cannot blame me for what you're about to experience next. It is time for Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right. So like I said, we're talking about big issues. We're talking about world-changing, cataclysmic crisis 
going on in our world. That's what the Noah's rant exists to fix. And today we are talking about cloth napkins. We are talking about who in the world decided that you should take a cloth napkin and put it on your lap when you are eating. So what a what a what a brilliant idea. Oh, you have a paper napkin, cool. You can use that paper napkin. You can use it to wipe your face. You can you can use it to to fit, get that little bit of sauce off your off your lips so people aren't aren't looking at you with sauce lips. You can use your paper napkin for that. No biggie. Use it all you want. It's right there. It's accessible. It's 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 right it's right by your hands. But but when we put out a cloth napkin, and we're we're talking now we're getting fancy now. So we're at a we're at a fancy place, a fancy restaurant. First of all, we're too good for those paper napkins. None of that cheap stuff around here. We're going with a cloth napkin. That's deluxe. Nothing says deluxe like some cloth, like some cloth napkin. But no, here's how deluxe we are. You don't you don't get to actually have the napkin by your hands where you can grab it and wipe your face. You 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 actually got to put it on your lap. You you're going to you put it on your on my lap, but why would I? I don't I don't eat I don't eat like I don't put the food on my lap I I I put the food in my mouth I don't I don't actually feed like my knees my knees don't have a mouth on them they don't my knees do not need a napkin do you understand my mouth and my fingers need the napkin no 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 you put that cloth napkin on your lap and then I want you to do this I want you to scooch real close under the table see. See, because that cloth napkin, it's meant to catch the food that falls on your lap. Oh, yeah, because I, <laughs> I need that. I, when I eat, it's crazy. I'm like throwing vegetables all over the place. It's like a, it's like a confetti party of explosion of, of potatoes and gravy and vegetables flying everywhere. I'm so glad you provided me this cloth napkin to catch all the food that falls from my hand to my into my mouth because that is a huge problem. In fact, why stop at a cloth napkin on my lap when you could provide, if you really were deluxe, an entire hazmat suit? How about you just create a, a little opening for my mouth and that way when I'm throwing spaghetti sauce up in the air and trying to catch it in my mouth as if I were catching grapes that I threw in the air. This way, I'll really be covered. I appreciate your concern. Here's the problem. Who cares? Who needs something on their lap to catch food falling from the table? If your food falls from the table when you eat, you you might need to go see the doctor. You might need to you might need some medical help because when I eat, here's how I eat. I put the food in my hand, and then I put that food in my hand, and then I, and then I put it in my mouth, and then I chew it up. I, I take a bite, and and I chew it up and I swallow it. And the food, it's very seamless. It's very smooth. It's 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 a it's a beautiful rhythm. It goes from my plate to my hand, all in one motion into my mouth, and I swallow it. But here's the deal: sometimes that food on my lips, it's it gets a little bit on my lips, and I don't like that. I don't want you to see, and I don't want to feel some barbecue sauce on my lip while I'm trying to have 
dinner conversation with you. So I take my napkin and I wipe that off of my face like a civilized person. But when you have put my cloth napkin on my lap under the table, here's what I have to do. I have a choice to make. I have a few decisions to make. Do I look like a like a buffoon of sorts and pull the napkin up off of my lap to wipe my mouth with it, which nobody else at the table is doing, and then I'm going to actually put it back on my lap. So now it has barbecue sauce on it or peanut butter, and I'm going to put it back on my lap. Out at this nice dinner, I'm wearing my nice pants, and now my pants have a cloth napkin on them that also have peanut butter and barbecue sauce on them. So guess what else my pants have on them now? Peanut butter and barbecue sauce. Thank you, cloth napkin. You successfully moved the peanut butter and barbecue sauce from my lips onto my pants. Exactly where I wanted it. It's brilliant. Seriously. There's there this is as bad as the necktie. This is as there's nothing wrong with putting a napkin on the table. Nothing about that says I'm uncivilized. I'm a caveman. I'm a, a, a nothing no, there's nothing wrong with it. Yet We've created this rule in high society culture that if you leave your cloth napkin on the table, what's wrong with you? That's supposed to go on your knees because a real eater doesn't need that. Or a real eater needs it to catch their to catch all the food that falls. You need a bib is what you need. My my when my when my kids, my 3-year-old, she just out of using bibs. I've got some. I'll send them to you. You don't need a cloth napkin on your lap. You need a bib with one of them pouches on it to catch everything. So then you can eat it after after it falls in your bib when you're done, you can you can go home and it's like free leftovers. So here's the thing. Cloth napkins need to end. That's it. There's a simple solution to this. I should say the cloth napkin on the lap needs to end. The simple solution is stand firm. Know your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in what that that waiter or waitress thinks of you. It is not in what that person across the table thinks of you. When you leave that napkin up on the table where you actually can use it, and they look at you and they go, ew, what's wrong with you disgusting are you an animal that you would you you wouldn't put that napkin on your knees where all civilized people do it? Don't bend. Don't cave to the worldly pressure to put your identity in what the person across the table from you thinks of you of how you use a napkin. You know you're a son or a daughter of God in Christ. Your identity's in him. You keep that napkin on the table and you say, I don't care what you think of me. Jesus loves me, and I am going to wipe my mouth with this napkin when I want to from the table. I'm going to put it back on the table because that's where napkins belong. Boom, baby. That's a mic drop for Noah's rant. We are making the world a better place. We are here to free you uh, from the fallen world and the sin of this world, and 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 now you you are free. You are free. You're free indeed. And and spread the message. So So... We, this podcast is ranked very high amongst five-star restaurants. So there's all these charts on iTunes. We we often are number one. I think right now we're number two, so we can get back up at number one. But we have a lot of lot of listeners who are owners of five-star restaurants. So you're welcome. You're, we're making the world a better place. Now you can wipe the barbecue sauce off your face and not feel shame about it. We've, we've kicked shame in the teeth. Uh, where, where grace lives vulnerability abounds. No shame here. Noah's rant uh, has made the world a better place. I do hope 
you have enjoyed episode 41 of the flip side just like we're, we, i really i really do want to take wes's line of the flip side and, and put that in to the intro of the show somehow uh remind you to check out angrybrew.com fivelakes.com use promo code flip become a patron at patreon.com slash noah and get some awesome flip side swag. We'll see you next time on the flip side. The flip side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak. www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Used with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see him in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Then I hope you see him clearly Raise him, raise him, raise him They've been sleeping for some ages Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list Money probably long